Hello and welcome to the Leaders in Supply Chain podcast. I am your host, Radu Palamariu, Global Supply Chain Practice Head for Morgan Phillips Executive Search. I am very happy to have with us today, Carl Siebrecht, CEO of Flex. Flex offers on-demand warehousing through an Airbnb-like network. They currently have more than 1,000 warehouses connected by a single software platform. And unlike traditional solutions, Flex makes warehousing available on-demand and uses software to streamline the entire process. They have raised more than $20 million to date, have consistently tripled in size every every year in the past years, and have been awarded 18th overall um, fastest growing companies on Deloitte's Technology Fast 500 companies. Carl is the co-founder and CEO. He's a seasoned technology executive with leadership experience in both startups and large global corporations. Prior to co-founding Flex, he was the CEO of AdReady, a Seattle-based advertising technology company. He also uh, is a founding board member of Energy Savvy, which is a software as a service based solution for energy efficiency management. Previously, Carl was also president of Atlas at A Quantive before its six billion acquisition by Microsoft. And earlier in his career, he was a manager at Bain and Company in Boston, as well as a diving officer in the US Navy. Carl, thank you for joining us and a pleasure to have you. Happy to be here, Roddy, thanks. Um, and I'd love to start. Um, you got you got me really curious with uh, with a little bit about yourself, and you know, starting from you being a diving officer in the U.S. Navy and ending up to be a CEO of a technology company. So walk us a little bit through your story. Sure, happy to do that. Um, so, th- so you're saying that's not an intuitive path from diving officer to uh, logistics tech not, startup? Not your typical one. I, I've I've seen one or two other people, but not a lot. <laughs> right. Right. So I studied uh, economics and Russian in uh, in undergrad, actually, and uh, I was there on a Navy ROTC scholarship that paid for my school. And so I served four years in the U.S. Navy and sought out the diving program as uh, the way I wanted to uh, build my career there. Um, it was a, a bit of a niche. Um, it was a highly sought after team. So something to compete for, which is kind of part of my DNA. Uh, and also a very small team uh, that was very close knit and had a, a really important mission. Um, so I loved, I loved that stage of my career and learned a lot. Learned a lot about teamwork. Uh, learned a lot about, frankly, industrial operations. A lot of what we did was was salvage and ship repair work. And uh, along with that, there was quite a bit of logistics. Uh, that was my first exposure. And then also learned a lot about about leadership. Uh, after I got out of the Navy, went to grad school to get my MBA and then took a job with Bain & Company. It's a great consulting firm uh, and specialized there in their private equity practice. After several years at Bain, I was uh, had a calling to come out to Seattle to work at a tech startup. Uh, a good friend of mine had started a business about 20 years ago in a very early emerging category uh, which was advertising and marketing technology. So uh, as the internet started to initially gain traction and eyeballs were migrating from more traditional forms of media to online media, there was an early disruption in advertising and an early opportunity to go build a technology company that could help translate uh, some of the old traditional needs uh, that were still current uh, at the time, finding audience, finding relevant audience, and uh, building uh, sales growth and brand by capturing that audience and delivering the right messages. So that that was a need that had existed for 
a long time and still existed. It was just that the means to do that was changing because the audience behavior was changing, moving from so-called you know, offline media to online media. So that was a business uh, that I joined about 20 years ago, and uh, it was an opportunity to really innovate in a large category, uh, and that's where I spent about 15 years of my career up until the point where we started Flex. It's um, And uh, at the same time, there's maybe some thread, there's some common thread, because at Flex also you're kind of starting a new category in, in, in many ways uh, in the logistics space, right, in, in, from an angle of a platform and software and, and an Airbnb for, for warehouses. So maybe that's that the commonality exactly. with, the, with the diving, right? You like to deep dive into a new segment <laughs> from your U.S. Navy days, if we yeah, that, have a metaphor. That's exactly right. I mean, the comparison between the business we built in logistics and the business we built in the advertising and marketing space is actually very strong. So in each case, these businesses are fundamentally technology, software businesses, software platform to be more explicit. We didn't actually sell software licenses. We built software to enable uh, a better model for purchasing services. And that's exactly what we've done with Flex. I was very familiar from my past deep dive in um, advertising technology with e-commerce and the change that was happening at the retail level. So what I was also very aware of is that the back end of the retail business, if you will, the logistics part of the stack was also uh, going to need to go through a transformation to keep up with all the change that was happening on the front end of the retail model, i.e. e-commerce. So you know, the founding story of Flex is a, is a great one, uh, full of serendipity. A good friend of mine had built a, uh, a, a consumer products business specializing in home barware, so martini glasses, coasters, and the like. And he had built quite a successful business over the course of about 10 years and uh, felt that one of the things holding him back was warehousing in terms of how he distributed and fulfilled his products. And the way he put it was this. He had been uh, running his own operation and had been leasing warehouses on a three to five year term. And every time he'd sign a new lease, he had to try and forecast how much he was going to grow so he could figure out how much inventory he would be managing and therefore how much space he would need. But the way he put it was, you know, hey, he was in a high growth business. He was seasonal. And so it was very difficult to forecast multiple years ahead. And so he always ended up with too much or too little capacity in terms of warehousing. And he felt like many other businesses had the same challenge. And he came to us and said, uh, myself and my two co-founders, who were also technologists, he said, hey, you know, couldn't you build a a marketplace type of model like an Airbnb and build software uh, so that other warehousing operators could manage my goods when I was short on space uh, and they could fill their facilities with more capacity and generate more income off of the fixed costs that they were already uh, saddled with in their current business, and that was the genesis of the idea. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's it's as always, right? I mean, it's the best way to to start something is by addressing a very clear pain uh, in the market. Um, so it's um, it's kind of a case study of, of doing that. It's just that I I got this question, and I think a couple of our listeners were 
were wondering because maybe um, and I and I know that you have a couple of uh, clients on the retail side, so maybe you can give us some examples of how you currently. So this was one of your your friends, um, and and currently what what some of the larger scale or because I think now you you you've obviously been around for quite a while. You have quite a large um, a large network. So what are some of the large scale clients that you have, and how 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 are you currently help, helping them with this challenge of seasonality or lack of space issue? Yep. Sure. So maybe I'll, I'll preface that just with a, with a very brief, hopefully plain English language uh, way to describe what our model is, just so we're all clear on that. Um, Flex effectively created the on-demand uh, warehousing and fulfillment category. That's the name we, we gave it a few years ago. Um, so what this means is we provide warehousing and fulfillment services uh, to large enterprises and also to high-growth e-commerce companies. And we do this through a network of more than a thousand warehouse operators who are all connected to the same software platform. So very specifically, we provide the services we provide to our clients are e-commerce pick and pack fulfillment, uh, retail fulfillment or replenishment to brick and mortar stores or marketplaces and bulk distribution of inventory. So think from maybe a port to a regional distribution center, et cetera. And the types of customers we serve specifically are large retailers like a, uh, a Walmart or Walgreens, uh, large CPG companies um, like a, uh, a Procter & Gamble, and then high-growth e-commerce companies from Limebike uh, to uh, some of the mattress companies like a Casper in the States, uh, even uh, consumer product companies like a Hims. Uh, which is building a great business in kind of men's health category. Got it. And and um, a thought that comes to my mind: How do you see? And and I know that you uh, you had a statistic. How do you see the the distribution in the future in between on-demand warehousing and at the same time you have the classic, uh, let's say, model where a client and and let's take the example of Procter and Gamble, right, or something like that, the consumer goods company, um, longer term contracts, and and you have the traditional three PL players which tend to to operate on that model. Um, where do you see this kind of distribution? Because uh, obviously there are certain things that you know you will not warehouses will not be on demand everywhere and all the time, um, right. and at the same time you've created this category that is this, that is growing. So how do you see? Is it like a um, I don't know, 90%, 10%, 80%, 20%, or, or I think you mentioned the, the number of 30, 70%, 30% um, kind of split between, let's say, Procter & Gamble would use 70% stable long-term contracts and maybe 30% on demand. Um, is that still where you see it, and, and why? what's the reason behind? Right, yes. We do believe that, that on-demand warehousing or flexible warehousing will be a, a complement to the existing kind of fixed infrastructure and traditional solutions um, that are prevalent today. Um, we don't think those are going away. Um, it, a metaphor I like to use that, that can be helpful is uh, when, when Amazon's AWS, uh, Amazon Web Services, first launched into the marketplace about 12 years ago, um, what existed prior to that uh, that did the same job was a data center. And companies would either build these data centers and staff them up with their own employees and buy the servers and buy the backup gener- power generators, et cetera. Uh, so they would be first-party run data centers, or they would outsource that to a third party 
who would lease the space, buy the equipment, hire the employees to take care of the servers, et cetera. And then they would contract those services back to their customers. But those contracts typically had term limits to them and fixed costs because the provider was was covering a lot of fixed costs, right? And that solution worked quite well. But one of its one of the things it lacked was flexibility. So if you were a startup and uh, you were built a website and you forecast that your traffic would increase a bunch, um, you would have to guess at how much server capacity you would need to handle all of the volume of visitors to your website. Uh, and, and very similar to that um, is, is the dynamic with warehouses, um, where if you have a high predictability um, that can close to guarantee high utilization, um, a fixed-term contract can be a great solution. But if there's something dynamic about the need, whether it's high growth or uncertainty around a forecast or changing product mix or seasonality, it makes those fixed uh, investments um, not very uh, productive or at least not very capital efficient. And so, again, going back to the data center analogy, when AWS launched, they basically were able to replace that high fixed cost capital investment with a service. And that service was available on a pay-as-you-go or i.e. on-demand basis. Um, and they were able to offer effectively infinite scale you know, as much bandwidth as you might need, we can provide that. As much geographic uh, distribution of that of that bandwidth that you need, i.e., data centers, East Coast, West Coast, Europe, North, South, etc., they could provide all that on demand. And again, in a purely unitary cost basis. And so, when you fast forward today and you look at that uh, cloud-based uh, IT infrastructure category. That's now about a quarter of all IT infrastructure. Of course, Google has come out with Google Cloud, which is great. Microsoft has Microsoft Azure, which is great. And there are other competitors as well. And it is now part of the fabric of IT infrastructure. And the usage comparatively by company, uh, i.e. how much uh, flexible capacity do they use versus fixed capacity, really varies depending on the nature and the needs of that company. A startup may be 100% cloud-based, like we are, and like probably most startups are. We will never need to build a data center. Even very, very large companies like a Netflix, who can certainly afford to build their own data centers, chooses to use cloud because their volume is highly variable and their growth trajectory has been very high. And then in contrast, you take a company like uh, a big bank, say Capital One, Um, They are one of AWS's uh, kind of marquee reference clients. And, of course, they have data centers, um, but they also are a large customer of AWS, uh, and they keep uh, – their usage of AWS keeps going up over time as the needs of their business uh, continue to evolve. Uh, But they also go up over time because AWS's capabilities keep advancing Uh, in terms of the sophistication of their data security and other sort of uh, add-on applications or services that they're able to provide. So that's a bit of a long-winded explanation, but I think it's important to to understand that metaphor because we see warehousing playing out the same way. Um, And I would would next just quickly point to, you know, transportation, uh, the other big category in logistics. 
you know, if you think about that business, there are companies that own their own assets. There are companies that have long-term multi-year contractual agreements with asset providers. Uh, so kind of long contracts, if you will. And then there are a whole host of, of uh, truck brokerages that offer capacity in more of a spot market or on-demand basis. And different companies choose to allocate spend across those different capabilities, depending on the needs of their business. Excellent example, uh, Carla. And, and, um, and it, I, I think it really brings the point uh, to life and it makes, uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, so basically, basically, also another way to put it, Flex is a warehouse as a service type of a model. Um, maybe you'll, uh, you'll go into trucking as a service type of a model as well. I know that there's a couple of companies that are doing that uh, to kind of link it to your um, uh, analogy also on the transportation and trucking side. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a few platforms trying to do that. Actually, there's a very large one in China that is, is incredibly valuable. I think now they've reached a valuation of uh, 1 billion plus. Uh, it's just that it's still, it's still highly uh, under the radar, but they are doing exactly that trucking as a service and they have, I don't know how many thousands and thousands of truck or re- trucks already on their platform. So for sure, another category that is growing. Um, and I'd love to go a little bit, and some of the questions uh, would go a li- little bit into the, how does it practically work? So this warehouse is a service. You have the technology, you have the platform, Flex is there. Um, but in terms of the practical nature of, you know, who is accountable for meeting the standard uh, operating procedures, dwell time, loading windows, who is, the li- who is liable in terms of handling storage um, in, in the warehouse? Is it the warehouse owner? Is it Flex? How does that work? How do all these things work? Yeah, so the, at, the, at the very operational level of our model, um, you know, the warehouse operators are responsible for and liable for um, the same things that they are uh, if Flex is not part of the equation. So uh, we understand our customers' needs, our customers that come to Flex. Their needs and requirements are captured in a scope of work, um, and we help curate a match to the right warehousing operator or operators. Many of our clients work with multiple providers uh, through Flex. Um, And part of the value we bring there is not just curating the right match across all these uh, thousand different providers, um, but once the different partners are selected, we provide a centralized way to manage your operations across this distributed network of providers. Very specifically, this goes back to the software platform, but very specifically, um, you know, orders or your inventory flows into the Flex system, whether that's through an API connection or an EDI connection. Um, Item master, inventory, everything is part of uh, the Flex system, which is connected to our customers' software platforms and systems. Uh, And then uh, the order management and inventory management is executed through Flex out to all the different warehouse providers. So on the warehouse side of our of our services marketplace, uh, our providers use the Flex software as their WMS. And that's what enables our customers to have that single point of control uh, and single view of all their inventory and activity. Again, on the mechanical side, uh, our customers' needs are also captured in an SLA, which is you know very similar to identical to an SLA that they would have with any particular provider. And so, at the point of of, of contract, uh, just to be very discreet, you know the SLA is agreed to by the warehousing partners, by the customer, and then there are elements of that SLA that Flex signs up for as well. Because remember, all this activity 
is riding on top of our software. And then the final part of that is we act and behave as an extension of our client's operations team. It is, in fact, you know, I love getting feedback from customers. Sometimes it's constructive feedback and we jump on it because uh, my view is feedback is a gift and we can always learn. And then, and then oftentimes, thankfully, uh, we get compliments back from, from our customers. And, and my favorite one of all is when a customer will say, I view the Flex team as an extension of my team. Uh, that's how we operate, and we believe that we can add a lot of value to help a client sort of through almost like a control tower mechanism manage this this bigger and more distributed network that they can create through our model. And and it's interesting that you mentioned that you act as, as if you were a WMS system, um, centralized, um, and basically you, you offer that, that visibility and, and all the all the other elements that come with it to the clients, because uh, that was a common question that people were asking, you know, do you also offer the, the WMS, but actually you are kind of a WMS uh, in itself. So, um, yes. so that's good to, that's good to know. That's good to, to make that clear. Um, and uh, there was a, another specific question that, that raised also a lot of interest, which was, it's kind of like also with Airbnb, how do you audit the physical conditions of the, the warehouse, right? Because you want to make sure that the warehouse is in a good, uh, in a good condition. How, how do you do that currently practically? Absolutely. Yes, this, this happens in stages or phases with us. So the first phase is uh, at the very beginning of a potential relationship when a warehouse operator reaches out and says, hey, I'd like to be or I'm interested in being part of the network. Um, we have a, a, an initial screen or filter. And so it's a set of questions uh, where we will understand the, both the physical attributes of a warehouse and also a bit about the operating history of the operator. Um, we then, uh, so there's a filter there and companies that sort of pass that screen. The next step is uh, a conversation where our, uh, what we call our network development team will engage with that warehouse operator to get a little bit more color and a, a more finely tuned uh, screening uh, and filtering of that provider. Uh, those who pass through the screen then are free to list uh, as a potential warehouse operator in our network. Um, so those are kind of the first two phases of screening. There's a next screen that happens, and that's at the point of uh, the first potential uh, operational engagement with a warehouse provider. Because um, up until that point, they're listed, they have their physical attributes as part of our database, they are available to be potentially matched with, with one of our customers. Um, and then if there's a, a, a match that wants to happen, there's another round of screening that we will do. And depending on the, the nature of the engagement, the complexity of the project, that could very well include an on-site visit, uh, both by us and or uh, our customer. And so there's additional vetting that happens. The last kind of phase of, of validation here is... Um, happens when we're up and operational with all of our warehouse partners. One of the other advantages of a common software platform is that we can manage and, well, I should say measure and manage the quality performance of every operator across all of our clients because everybody is using the same software. So key uh, where kind of classic warehouse quality related metrics like um, uh, 
uh, order accuracy, on-time shipment. We're measuring all that for our clients. Again, we're measuring it relative to their SLA that we've signed up for and the warehouse operators signed up for and can provide not only the metrics and data back to our customers, but also this control tower uh, kind of view to help make sure that all the operators are hitting uh, their targets uh, and where somebody may be uh, slipping, we can inject ourselves and go in and help. We can refine the SOPs and just make sure that the customer is getting uh, what the customer needs and uh, working with our operators collaboratively uh, to make that happen. Gotcha. And, and there was a follow-up question in terms of the true flexibility of flex. Um, and basically, because again, you, you can deal with retailers, you mentioned e-commerce. Now, some of the e-commerce players, for example, it might be a smaller shop that maybe only sells that many or maybe for, for New Year or for Christmas, they might have more orders and they need a little bit of, uh, more space and then it goes down again or for Valentine's Day since it's coming up. Um, and I, the question was, how truly flexible are you in a sense of, are there some minimum commitments in terms of time, quantity, movements? Or uh, how does that work exactly? Sure. Yeah, the typical minimum at the very, very low end would be one month. But even that is pretty rare. Um, uh, it all starts for us with a scope of work, which is effectively what is the client's need? Um, you know, if somebody is looking for a transload for a weekend, that's not the business we're in. We, again, we provide whether it's e-commerce fulfillment, retail fulfillment slash replenishment, or bulk distribution at a practical level, given the customers we're serving, um, the, the, the low end of a, of a need is typically a few months, uh, if not several months. And then at the high end, you know, it's just continuous. So we have uh, clients that have been with us uh, almost since inception of the company. Um, and what they're doing, uh, what they may do, in fact, most of them do, is they reconfigure their network as their business needs change and grow. Um, so they may start off, if they're a high-growth e-commerce player, they may start off with one warehouse um, because that's all they can really manage to start. Uh, but then as they start to scale, they need more capacity and uh, delivery promise likely becomes much more important if it wasn't already important at the onset. And so what that means is, you know, to get a two-day ground delivery, you need at least a few warehouses in your network. So they may add different facilities uh, to the network. Then their product uh, SKU mix might change. And when that happens, sometimes you need to, to have a different warehouse provider. To use a simple example, maybe your first uh, SKUs as a small company are small and light, uh, but then you launch products that are large and bulky and you need a different capability. Um, you may want to add a dedicated return center. Uh, so the point is your business grows and changes and your, your logistics network should also grow and change. And that's really what we provide. You know, the name Flex is not an accident. Um, uh, that was our value prop from day one. And we think of ourselves as really providing, you know, structural flexibility. And what that means is no matter how your business grows, changes, evolves, your logistics back end of your business should also be able to evolve and change to meet the needs of your business. Uh, so that's really, that's, that's the value prop. And again, going back to those customer examples, um, it could be a short project to start. You know, we may start with somebody for a holiday season and then that rolls into 
uh, uh, hey, I'm launching a new set of products. I need three different types of fulfillment centers to support a different SKU mix. Uh, and then from there, it rolls into uh, I'd like to expand into Canada or it rolls into I'd like to cut my delivery time uh, by another 30 percent. So I need to expand my network. Um, that's how they sort of configure and reconfigure their networks in a very agile way through Flex. I mean, it's 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 almost it sounds like it's um, yeah maybe oversimplifying it, but it sounds like a no brainer that this is useful. But of course, uh, it's like all the things, right? Like I could have started Facebook if only I had put in the work, right? <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> Um, and I guess that this leads, because uh, the way you describe it, the analogy with the, you know, with the Amazon Web Services and and the cloud, and and pretty much I think by now everybody or our listeners are quite clear that that it makes sense, and it also gives enables really a potential, uh, and your clients and the the, the, the case studies that you've mentioned, it enables them to basically flexibly model uh, their their logistics. Uh, operations depending on their needs which is tremendously important and it's a, it's a very significant option to have uh, in terms of, of doing that and right. not having to invest in warehouses and all of that and and having a, truly a network i mean actually you have access to a network if if this works well you actually have ex- access to a network of warehouses that you can model depending on your needs and you don't have to invest any money in it so it makes a lot of sense it seems uh, you know it seems uh, straightforward now the question the million dollar question is what's your challenges in terms of growing <laughs> and scaling and because i can imagine like anything and when you start a new category there's a lot um so you know you have 1000 warehouses why don't you have 10000 what's your you know what's your main main issues right yeah you know um very early on when we heard this idea and and started doing our diligence even before we founded the company, part of the diligence was just go out and talk to people who were deep in the industry. These are both uh, senior leaders from 3PL organizations, uh, logistics leaders, supply chain leaders uh, from big companies, medium-sized companies. And, and the response was very similar. It was, well, you know, have you thought about this? And what about this? And what about liability? And what about quality? And these very, very important questions um, difficult challenges to solve, you know, particularly through a marketplace model where you don't have direct control over the assets. Again, very, again, you know, the, the questions from the listeners here reflect um, uh, very much in this vein as, as do the questions that come from pretty much every panel I sit on. These are really important questions. If you can't have quality uh, here, it's just fundamentally not going to work. If you can't figure out liability, if you can't figure out you know, the software to really make all this stuff happen. Uh, it won't work. So it's very hard. But at the same time, if you can figure it out, and we have put in years of hard work here, um, in both on the engineering product front and also uh, on the business side of our business through our field team, uh, our operations team, who all have very, very deep and extended experience in the logistics industry. If you can figure it out, you can create something that is really, really valuable. Um, and that's what we've done. And so what's, what's different now than, you know, five years ago is uh, we have wonderful clients who have trusted us enough to get started with them and now have grown and evolved to where we're a very important part of their business and they're now references. And so when, when we have uh, happy customers who are still, by the way, uh, very discerning and, and they challenge us every day and they should. Um, but they can stand up and say, you know, 
I've used this solution and it has worked very well. Here's the problems it solved for me. Um, that goes a tremendously long way in proving credibility uh, from the standpoint of, you know, we're this, this quote unquote startup uh, in this very um, mature uh, industry. So that uh, probably ahead of everything else is what has started to uh, even further accelerate our growth is that, that, that many of our prospects now have confidence that it actually works uh, because they don't need to hear it from me. They hear it from our customers. And that's a very classic dynamic in any kind of innovation uh, or, or new business model. We went through the same thing in my past life in, in uh, advertising technology. There's just a lot of, you know, your first reaction was, wow, it's a great idea. And your second act reaction was, well, does it really work? Um, and it takes a while to prove uh, that it works. And then given that there's something unique, if there is something unique and valuable about the new solution, so the need is there, once the credibility catches up to it, that's when growth can really, really uh, take off. And that's what we've experienced here at Flex. As I think you mentioned, uh, we, we were recognized by Deloitte as, as I think it was the 18th fastest growing tech company in North America. Um, you know, that's a reflection of the uptick in, in usage of this new solution. Um, I say new, it's not that new anymore, but still relative to the maturity of the overall logistics industry, it is new. Uh, and I think that growth is, is, you know, sort of proof of, of the fact that this is really taking off now. And based on what you're saying, it, it led me to think about the Airbnb, the Airbnb story as well, where they, they had some incidents at the beginning or when they kind of launched, it seemed to be going okay. Then they had a couple of houses burned by the, or I think there was some major, major public scandals because uh, one house was uh, one of the rented uh, places was uh, was really burnt or, or damaged badly by the person who rented it because it was a fake identity. And then they had to, fa- to fix the identity uh, issue on, on Airbnb. And as we know today, you need to put your ID there. And they did a lot of permutations just in terms of making sure the compliance safety and, and all of that is uh, basically in place for Airbnb. So it kind of led me to understand that it, you, you are kind of going and have gone uh, through those hoops um, as well, which would make, makes a lot of sense and it does take a bit of time. Um, so my follow-up question then would be, you know, you, you seem to be almost at the tipping point or hopefully at the tipping point or reaching there. When are you coming to Asia? A lot of people are asking, uh, are asking us, when are you coming to Asia? The short answer is we don't know yet. Um, the slightly longer answer is we believe this is a global business. We have tremendous demand from both uh, many of our customers who are global corporations, as well as our warehouse operating partners, many of whom also have a global presence. Um, And uh, we have uh, heard from many, many uh, uh, folks from those markets who might have interest in being a partner of ours in entering those markets. So um, we're very bullish on the opportunity there. we're just, uh, you know, you'd asked earlier about growth, you know, what, what are our constraints to growth? Um, you know, part of, part of the trick here is you want to obviously keep growing quickly, but you've got to keep a governor on it uh, because if you grow too quickly, you run the risk of, uh, of uh, not living up to our standards from a quality perspective. You mentioned some of the Airbnb examples uh, from that marketplace. Um, you know, there are growing pains. And, and as you, allude, you you guessed correctly, you know, we've had 
uh, a lot of things we've learned along the way. You know, knock on wood, we haven't had um, any sort of uh, major disruption from a service perspective. But part of that has been because we've proceeded very, very carefully. Um, and the same goes for international expansion. We intend to do it. We just don't want to move too quickly because at the end of the day, we're still a relatively small company, albeit growing very, very rapidly. Um, and we don't want to extend ourselves uh, too far uh, at the expense of sort of not delivering the type of quality um, that we have built our brand around up until this point. Yes. So I'll, I'll share an anecdote, actually. So I don't know if you or any of the listeners have ever heard, but Facebook had a saying uh, which was move fast and break things. And, it, you know, it alluded to, you know, just test and try stuff. And if, if you make mistakes, you know, fail fast and learn and keep going. Well, our version of that, we actually have posters on our wall, is move fast and don't break things. <laughs> so we want to <laughs> move fast. The best of both worlds. <laughs> exactly. We want to move fast, but not so fast, again, that we put quality at risk. Yes, good. Uh, yeah, good. Uh, good. Uh, um, uh, good point. And moving a little bit on the people, uh, people side of things, and it's it's our business in terms of talent and skills and 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 executive search and recruitment. And it's also the main challenge that a lot of MNCs have, but especially a lot of startups have. And you've come a long way in Flex, and and you've developed the team. But where did you find some of the most challenging, um, let's say? phases of your journey right because you start two three you were you were yourself and your co-founder i think or you were a team of core team of three and then you had to grow what have been the main challenges in terms of attracting finding people and getting them on board of the flex story that's a great question yes you're right i have two co-founders uh edmund Yu and francis duong they're both uh, software engineers by trade uh earlier in their careers they had worked at microsoft on big platforms uh edmund was one of the first to work on uh, azure their cloud platform uh, and then they went on to found a startup together uh, a few years before we started Flex. So they had this experience of, of working in very, very large uh, scaled platforms, sort of global technology platforms, um, but also uh, helping to lead, you know, they co-founded before Flex, another company, uh, helping to lead and grow an idea from scratch. So it's a great balance. Um, so we were the, the, the founding team. Uh, you know, so what have the challenges been? You know, part of it is, uh, you know, early on, you're long on vision and short on, uh, you know, actual results. That's just the, the, the sort of physics of the, of the, of the problem, right? Um, and so we, from very early on, as I said, had a really deep conviction in the vision here of, you know, we could build something that would, that would, that would really help uh, businesses in the world. It would help them kind of solve a, a, a key challenge around uh, agility, you know, we can help you make your enterprise more agile so that you can compete better, uh, ship faster, respond to customer demands more quickly, et cetera. So deep passion uh, and conviction around the vision. But, you know, the results we had to show in that first year were, okay, here's our very small book of clients uh, and the rest of it, you just have to believe. And so in that context, uh, of course, you don't want to settle and hire people um, that you don't think are going to be future leaders in your company and people you want to work with for the next 30 years. You want to hire the best talent in the world. So uh, you got to find the, the rare combination of, you know, incredibly talented people, but also people who could be convinced uh, to, to stop whatever they're doing currently. And if they're really talented people, you know, they're in very comfortable jobs because they've been very successful. 
So you've got to win them over largely with vision uh, and get them to join the team and help you build uh, the actual business that will uh, fulfill the, the vision that we set out for ourselves. So it's very, very difficult. Um, it takes time, but you know, uh, my two cents on this is never settle, you know, much better to be patient um, than to uh, pull the trigger too fast on somebody who might be willing to come, but may not be uh, as likely to have all the characteristics of, of what you're looking for. Um, it's a, it's a cash 22. And again, back to the principle of, you know, move fast, but don't break things that, that you, you, you're trying to embed in the culture of flex. Um, a lot of, uh, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of companies operate the other way, you know, move fast and pull the trigger. And then if you make a mistake, shoot, <laughs> shoot a person fast, but that is not a luxury that, uh, that you can afford at the beginning of the journey. Right. So it's not, uh, when you're a 1,000 uh, people company or 10,000 people company, like a, like a Microsoft, maybe it's easier, but, uh, you know, at the beginning, it's a lot harder. So uh, thank you for that input. And I think it's useful for a lot of listeners who are maybe in that situation. Um, and, and final question from, uh, from, uh, from my side, Carl, um, you know, in terms of your journey so far, and you've been through from uh, U.S. Navy to uh, running very large businesses to now inventing and, and developing a new a category, uh, let's say, in itself with Flex and with the platform uh, that you're building there. Uh, looking back at your career, what would be one piece of advice or sharing or story that you would want to tell the audience? And, and uh, I don't know, what was something that really helped you and, and you found it was very useful to know in this journey and helped you be successful? Sure. I, I'd say probably the best piece of advice I've ever had um, is... Uh, try to surround yourself with great people. Um, you know, different businesses and, and frankly, different people could have different definitions of what great is. Uh, you know, for me, uh, great is uh, somebody who shares a similar conviction or passion for what it is we're setting out to do. Um, you know, one of our core company values is passion. What we mean by that is, uh, you know, at the, at the point of interviewing a candidate, you know, this is one of the things we, we literally try to screen for uh, with everybody. And you can't just ask somebody, what are you passionate about? Or I guess you could, but it may not go all that well. Um, so what we look for is what has the person been excited about over his or her career or even extracurriculars, if it's particularly if it's somebody earlier in their career? Uh, what gets them excited? Uh, what have they gone deep into? We think that's incredibly important because, you know, uh, building a, a company, it's hard. And uh, you will have uh, uh, up days and down days. And uh, to, to be uh, sure that somebody could really have conviction and passion helps people pull through. Uh, and, uh, and then the other thing about passion is it's, an, it's infectious. You know, you get people who are really excited and motivated. And guess what? They attract other people who are really excited and motivated. So surround yourself with great people is, you know, finding folks who uh, uh, have shown in their careers that they're passionate about something. And then in particular to this business um, are very passionate about jumping on board and helping to drive towards the vision that we set out for ourselves. Another part about great, uh, when I think about great people is um, looking for people who are great leaders and, and by great leaders, I mean, you know, someone who will lead, uh, I call it, and again, I borrowed all this, uh, lead from the front, uh, lead by example. Um, 
And uh, that means coaching people, nurturing people. That means uh, owning uh, the decisions you make, even when they're wrong, you know, leading by example. I think it's an incredibly important quality uh, for any organization, but particularly in a dynamic kind of high growth environment. Um, that is a critical, that is a critical thing. So I think if you can surround yourself with great people and, and your definition of great kind of fits the conditions of, of what you're trying to do and also fits kind of the, the, the personal values that, that you hold, uh, that is probably the single most important thing uh, you can do, uh, whether you're building a company or starting a new division inside a large company or accepting a new job uh, uh, to run a new team or any of those scenarios. Yes, um, really, really good points, and thank you for the for the sharing. And um, Carl, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us. We wish you a lot of uh, continuous success. Keep moving fast and and not breaking things at at Flex. And uh, we will be following your story, and uh, and uh, hopefully we will be welcoming you to Asia uh, in the near future. Thanks, Radu. I appreciate uh, being invited on the on the podcast here. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to follow us on radopalamario.com slash podcast for all the show notes, links, and extra tips covered in the interview. Make sure also to subscribe to our emailing list to get the news in the nick of time. If you're listening through a streaming platform like iTunes or Stitcher and you like what we do, please kindly review and give us five stars so we can keep the energy flowing and get more people to find out about our podcast. I'm most active on LinkedIn, so do feel free to follow me to stay tuned for our latest uh, articles as well as future guests for the podcast and if you have any suggestions or any other idea please feel free to write to me i respond to all and also please make sure not to miss our next episode where we will be having a few other c-level and top leaders in supply chain joining us stay tuned